You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. out of gas, when you've spent all you can at that one particular point, it's really nice to know that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. It's nice to know that he knows what you're going through because he's been there. He's been there. He was weary. He was weary from the travel and he was thirsty. He needed a drink of water, cool water. When you're weary, it's nice to know that he loves you. It's nice to know that he's there for you because he's experienced everything you have. He knows how weary being a Christian can be. Does it ever feel like life weighs on you a little heavier than it does others? Not everyone knows what it's like to be persecuted for your thoughts or beliefs, but Pastor Dave reminds us today that Jesus did. Whenever you're feeling alone, remember that Jesus can relate to all the anxiety and weariness that you feel today. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 4 as he begins his message, A Divine Appointment. We are going to continue as we study the book of John, the Gospel of John. So if you brought your Bibles with you, turn to John 4. We're going to be specifically looking at verses 5 through 26. Now, for some of those of you who know me, this is a stretch for me to do 21 verses. This is a stretch, but we're going to try to get through. So John 4, verses 5 through 26. So he, being Jesus, came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus at the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do then I get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me some of this water, that I may not thirst, nor come near to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You said well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither go on this mountain nor in Jerusalem to worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So have you ever thought about God's divine providential plan? Ever thought about how it works or how it comes into play in your life? You know, I'm always amazed with the way which God ordains things and how in his will he fits all the pieces together. He takes little chunks here, little chunks there, this, that, and the other, and all of a sudden he puts them together to accomplish his purpose. I think it's interesting. We call that God's providential hand. We call it how he works, his plan. Coincidences. I don't believe in coincidences. See, God never wastes time. God never wastes his time or your time. He uses everything for a purpose. He uses events in our lives. He uses circumstances in our lives. He uses affliction. He uses trial. And yes, he even uses sin in our lives for his purpose, to accomplish that which is his purpose. And if you are students of the scriptures, which I know all of you are, then you know Romans 8.28. And we know that God works all things together for good for those that love him and are the called according to what? His purpose. According to his plan. When we studied chapter 3, we saw Nicodemus, powerful, respected Jewish teacher, a teacher of all of Israel, a ruler, an aristocrat, who comes to Jesus in the cover of darkness to secretly meet with him. He comes with certain expectations. He wants to ask some questions of this man of God. He knows he's a man of God because he saw the miracles that Jesus had done and accomplished. And he said, no one can do those things unless he be of God. He came with questions to be answered. But he leaves having heard quite a different story. And I always wondered, did Nicodemus leave convinced or did he leave confused? And I took a side, and as a side note, the Gospel of John records an interesting thing back after Jesus' death in chapter 19. In chapter 19, verse 39 in particular, we read this. And Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as custom of the Jews to bury. So Nicodemus joined Joseph of Arimathea to help the body of Jesus Christ, to look at it and to bind it in the, in the wrap, the clothes of the, of the grave and put the spices on it. So what Jesus had to say to Nicodemus must have taken root, must have had some meaning. But when we come to chapter 4, Jesus is weary, and he's thirsty. And this combination provides for a divine appointment with a certain unclean, unnamed, uneducated Samaritan woman with a bad reputation. 
In contrast to Nicodemus, this woman meets Jesus in broad daylight and during the heat of the day and at a well that has a history which is as old as Israel itself, a well that was used by Jacob and his family some 2,000 years before Jesus Christ. Another aside, you can still see this well today. You can still drink the cool water from the well, about 75 to 150 deep. It's still there today. But if you go there, you need an armed escort because it happens to be located in an area called the West Bank. But it's still there today. And one of the reasons I find this passage so interesting is because within these verses, we can see a classic illustration of how to be a witness and how to share our faith with others using the method that Jesus employs here with this woman. As I said, this is a divine appointment. and is in stark contrast to the other divine appointment that we studied in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. In chapter 3, I said Jesus speaks to a religious man, while in chapter 4, his conversation is with this immoral woman who's not named. And I find it interesting that she's not named. And I think one of the reasons she's not named is so that we all can identify with her. In fact, I'll go one step further. I think that all of us can identify with Nicodemus, too, at one point in time or another. Remember, Nicodemus was caught in the religious box trying to get out. He couldn't see past his religion. He couldn't see past his traditions. He couldn't see past the rituals and things of Judaism. And Jesus was talking to him about a spiritual event. You must be born again. You must be born of water and of spirit. And this was boggling Nicodemus' mind. He couldn't see out of this box. The poor woman is caught in the bondage of sin. And we're going to find out that she is also caught in a religious box. And she can't climb her way out. So I think we can relate to both of these people and how Jesus came to each one of them, reached down into the muck and mire, and offered them something. Offered them new life. Offered them living water. Offered them hope. Offered them peace. Offered them comfort. Another reason why I like this so much is, if you have any desire for personal evangelism, there's much we can glean from these scriptures this morning. There's a lot we can glean for personal evangelism. So as we left chapter 3, Jesus was on the move. He left Judea to avoid confrontation with the Pharisees, and he wanted to go to Galilee. Verse 4 says he needed to go to Samaria. The old King James Version says he must needs to go to Samaria. And we looked at that word must needs, man. It was necessary. It was necessary for him to go to Samaria. An interesting fact, however, in Matthew 10, verse 5, when Jesus is sending his disciples out two by two, he tells them, don't go to Samaria. Don't go by way of Samaria. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. That was his quest. That was his goal. And we know in Acts 1, verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit falls upon the church, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria in the outermost portions of the world. So Samaria plays in there. It shows about Jesus' love for the entire world and how he doesn't want any to perish. But he was sent mainly for the Jews. But Jesus was on a divinely appointed schedule. It was necessary for him to be in Samaria. He knew that a lonely woman would be there, an immoral woman, one who was caught up in the bondage of sin. But interestingly enough, though, this woman also that he knew was waiting for her Messiah. She was waiting for the Messiah. And as I said earlier, we all can identify with the woman. We were caught up in the bondage of sin. We were dead in our sinful lifestyle. We had fallen short, and we couldn't get up. 
We were all looking for a way out and we couldn't find it. We couldn't see over the box. We had tried the religious box, but to no avail, we were still stuck in our sin. We read in John 2.25 that Jesus knew what was in the heart of men. He knows what's in your hearts today. He sees your unfulfilled dreams. He knows your hopes, your desires. He knows your afflictions. He knows what's going on in your life, even right now. In fact, he knows the outcome of what's happening in your life right now. And all he's asked us to do is to trust in him and to believe in him that the outcome will be good. Sometimes that outlook doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. But he said, trust in me, it will be good. He's heard your cries. He has seen your affliction and he knows your sorrows. Scripture tells us that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. He came to let the lame walk the deaf hear. He came to set the captives free. Well, I venture to say that we're the brokenhearted. We're the brokenhearted because of our sin. We can't walk in the ways of God, so we're lame. We can't hear the scriptures unless we're born again, so we're deaf. And we're prisoners. We're captive by the bondage of sin, by the religious box. So Christ came to set us free, to give us freedom. And if the Son sets you free, amen. Amen. That's what he's come for. Jesus found us and gave us living water to drink. So as we continue on from last week, Jesus knew where he was going. He knew why he was going. Look at verses 5 and 6. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus comes into town, and he goes right to Jacob's well because he knows he has an appointment there. He knows that at the sixth hour, this woman is going to show up. It was the heat of the day, but he was also weary from traveling. I love this about the Apostle John. You know that the very nature of the Gospel of John is to show that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. But John takes great lengths to talk about Jesus' humanity, too. Jesus was weary. He was tired. It was a long, hard journey from where they were in Judea down to Samaria trying to get to Galilee. He was weary. Really nice to know that when you're weary, when you are really out of gas when you've spent all you can at that one particular point. It's really nice to know that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. It's nice to know that he knows what you're going through because he's been there. He's been there. He was weary. He was weary from the travel and he was thirsty. He needed a drink of water, cool water. When you're weary, it's nice to know that he loves you. It's nice to know that he's there for you because he's experienced everything you have. He knows how weary being a Christian can be. He knows how weary those in ministry can become. He knows the tired feeling of exhaustion when it comes over you like a flood. What did Jesus do about it? Jesus got up every morning early. He got up every morning early and went away to be with the Father. He went away to be with the Father and he prayed and he looked at Scripture and he read the Word of God. I think this is a great example. Before our days start, we too need to be filled up. We need to be built up in the love of God. We need to set some time aside to sit before God, to read His Word, to meditate, to pray, and to listen to Him. So many of us come up with an agenda. I, this, this is my downfall. And I'll admit it in front of you. This is my downfall. I have my agenda of what I'm supposed to accomplish today, and that seems to be first and foremost. And God's telling me, take that agenda, rip it up into a thousand pieces, and throw it away. 
I'll be your agenda. Sit before me and let me guide you. Let me give you the strength you need to get through the day. But so often, we don't do that. We don't do that. So Jesus is sitting at the well, waiting for this woman. Verses 7 through 9. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. We talked about this hatred that the Jews and the Samaritans had for one another because of the half-breed situation. Jesus simply requests something from this woman. He simply requests something from her. He asks her, Give me a drink. And in that one small statement, Jesus broke down centuries of intolerance. He broke down centuries of prejudice and centuries of predisposed thinking. In that one small thing, give me a drink. And this is the first method. He attracts her heart. Jesus attracts her heart with one small sentence, one small request, give me a drink. Here he is, a Jew, a man. He's wearing a rabbinical robe, and he was speaking not only to a woman, but a Samaritan woman who has a history with men. This was a romper room no-no. This was like the thing you just shouldn't do at all. This was not to be expected. In fact, rabbis were not even supposed to speak to their wife in public. They weren't even supposed to speak to their wives in public, let alone some woman with a history. Notice in verse 8 that the disciples are nowhere to be seen. The disciples are going out. He sent them out to get food. You might think that's crazy because Jesus divided the fish, right? Jesus did all the things. But he never, ever does miracles to satisfy his own need. He was tempted to do those kind of things. Remember by Satan? Turn these rocks into bread? Jesus doesn't do that kind of stuff. But I think he sent them away because he knew that they would get in the way of his conversation with this Samaritan woman. They would go, oh, don't go near her. Oh, she's unclean. Oh, look at her. Don't get near her. You can't talk to her. Jesus knew that he had to talk to this woman. He must need to go to Samaria. In fact, in verse 27 that we'll get to next week, when they returned, they said to the woman, who are you? And they looked at Jesus and says, why are you talking to her? You hear the disgust in their voice. Ugh, what are you talking to this lady for? Jesus knew if they were there, they probably would have gotten in the way of the conversation. See, Jesus' plan is perfect. God always had a perfect plan. And this is a divine appointment. This is a divine appointment. It is now just a woman and him, one-on-one, just the way Jesus liked it. Jesus loves to get us one-on-one. He loves to get us one-on-one. He can minister to you in a crowd, and I pray he's ministering to you right now. But man, get you alone, one-on-one. Wow, that's where it really happens. That's where Jesus can really speak to your hearts. Just the fact that Jesus spoke to her, touched her heart, it attracted her to him. It attracted her to him and made her more receptive to receive from him. We underestimate the simple, hello, how you doing? We underestimate that. We're so busy trying to do our thing that we walk right by people who may be needing that hello. They may be needing just that smile, just that nod of the head, just that acknowledgement that they're even there. We so often just walk by them, blitz by on our way to get our super-duper lakatuki cappuccino. We're so busy trying to walk over people that we don't even notice them. When we're missing divine appointments right in front of us everywhere. Everywhere. 
we were coming home from the pastor's conference in Florida, and we were fired up. It's almost like I think we drove, but I think we flew home. It was incredible. We got on the ferry, and we just started talking to people. It was incredible. The words just started coming out. We just started treating people like they were human beings. And you'll be surprised that when you befriend people and start talking to them, all of a sudden, they start unloading all this stuff. They start unloading all this stuff. And I was like, oh, too much information. Wait a minute. No, but it's, it's in wild. We said a, we said hello to one guy, and he sat down, and he started talking about all these things. We're like, whoa. It was like he were talking to the w- woman here. He was talking about ex-wives and this and that and all kinds of crazy things. And when we started talking about Jesus, he all of a sudden ended the conversation up and left. But it's almost like Jesus was going, come back, come back. And all of a sudden, he drifted back and started the conversation again. Just paying attention to someone, being nice to the guy behind the counter at Wawa, making sure that he's a person, she's a person, and and acknowledging the fact that they're there. These small little things, little tiny seeds, little tiny seeds that will be planted in in their hearts, and they'll remember that. They will remember that the next time they see you. They may smile back. They might not acknowledge you the first time, but but if you continue to do that, eventually you're going to break through that shell. You'll break through that time. Jesus softened this woman's heart with words, words of life to her. This is the first great step when we're witnessing to somebody. Just be friendly. Just be friendly with them. So Jesus attracts her heart, and the next thing we see that he arouses her mind. Look at verses 10 through 15. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from of himself, as well as his sons and his fi- and livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whatever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of waters springing up into everlasting life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Wow. He got her thinking. She starts to think. She starts to think about things. The wheels start turning in her mind. It arouses her, and he points out several things that she needs to know. He's pointing out several things to her. He says, you might be ignorant of these things. Number one, the gift of God. Who is it he just talks to you? The gift of God. You're ignorant of that. You're ignorant of what he's trying to offer you, living water. And you're ignorant of how can I get this living water. All you have to do is ask, he says. Ask for it. Jesus' words piqued the woman's interest. She got his attention. It made her think. It made her want to give what was being offered to her. Give me that water. She really didn't know how to respond. I love the way she responds. She says, you have nothing to draw from. And I love this one. I call this detour number one. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Call this detour number one. Because she takes this Jesus on several detours trying to derail him. Well, yes, lady, he said he is. In fact, I wrestled with Jacob and touched his hip. Like Nicodemus, this woman was thinking physically, not spiritually. The woman was thinking in terms of material, physical water, when Jesus was speaking of eternal, spiritual realm. You are assured. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.